All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of my Golden State Issue series. Of course, this is the series where I talk about the history of California immigration. Uh, for those of you who this, who this might be their first episode, um, this is, uh, I, I made this pet project in order to, for myself and for uh, to help others better understand uh, basically the history of immigration in the state of California. Uh, immigration has always been a hot button topic and i think that it's important to know uh where we've been especially in terms of social or political or just how we've or just how we got to this point in our history and our development in this country i think it's important to know where we've been uh and to figure out in, in order to figure out where we're going uh and maybe we can stop some of the same mistakes that we made in the past maybe we can improve maybe we might end up doing the same uh but i wanted to to address some of these issues that I had uh, growing up with these situations and and what I've experienced with my friends and uh, my community, so I wanted to talk about the history of of um, of immigration, especially in the state of California, because it's always been a hot button topic here, and this is always this state has always been a, a battlefront state for immigration and for immigration uh, immigration rights. So let's get right into it. I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to set the table for you guys, especially for those who who, who maybe. Who, this may be their first episode. Um, we are at the point now in California history where we made it uh, slightly past the Civil War. Uh, the white European immigrants and the Amer white American immigrants have made California their own. Uh, they have discovered gold at Sutter's Mill near Sacramento. Uh, John Sutter has been on the scene. Uh, he has come and gone. Uh, you also, like I said, California has become a state. Uh, it was a military governorship. It uh, was able to, well, the Americans were able to fight for control against Mexico and was able to get it. And now it is officially, we have uh, gone past statehood and also the Civil War. Now we are around, we are around the mid-1860s. Uh, we're getting to the 1870s. We are past the Gold Rush movement, uh, but we are uh, headed straight into the railroad era in the state of California. So let's get right into it. This is after the Pony Express and the Stagecoach era as well, uh, around the same time. But let's get right into it. The first railroad in California was built from Sacramento to Folsom in February the, uh, February 1855. This was for gold mining, uh, just to connect to, to the gold fields and the gold mines in the area of Sac and also Placerville as well. The first transcontinental railroad connecting Sacramento to Omaha was established May the 9th on 1869. Now the Central Pacific Railroad would be set up for the freight across the Sierra Nevada and by 1870 the railroad, the railways would connect from Oakland and SF via ferry. In Southern California, the Los Angeles and San Pedro Railroad would be established on October the 9th of 1869 by John G. Downey and also Phineas Banning. Uh, and this would be 20 miles away outside of LA. And uh, Southern California and Northern California railroads would eventually connect in 1876 with the completion of the San Fernando Tunnel through the Tia Apache Mountains. And of course, that would bring growth, expansion, and also mergers between the uh, railroad companies as well. Up uh, to the point where you see today, actually, uh, railroad travel died around the 1950s with the, uh, with the of course, uh, the with the commercial flight. So again, the railroads remained a big factor uh, of uh, starting in this 1800s period, 1860s, mid 1860s, late 1860s, and it remained a prominent fixture uh, in our nation, like I said, up until the, the mid 20th century. Now, uh, for those of you who may or may not know, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys knew, know about this, uh, but the 
the most important factor behind this, at least in terms of the labor standpoint, was always, uh, for the railroads at least, was the Chinese labor, immigrant labor. Now, Chinese immigra uh, immigration would eventually rise. Uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, during the gold rush, uh, with about 4,400 uh, 4, being recorded in 1851, uh, from 1851 to 1860 alone. So just to, just coming here for the, the gold rush, there was a, a, a large spike in Chinese immigration, a large spike in their population. By 1860, the Central Pacific Railroad began hiring large numbers of Chinese laborers to five-year contracts. <clears throat> Um, to complete parts of the track, mostly in the state of Nevada and also in the Sierra Nevada mountains as well. Now, the Chinese workers would be recruited uh, by the thousands up until 1869, uh, basically when they completed the transcontinental railroads and all the pretty much the main connecting lines were completed. Uh, the population jumped from 2,176 in 1851 all the way to 63,000 in 1871, so a huge, a huge spike in numbers. And from 1871, to 1880, uh, 125,201 uh, uh, Chinese immigrants would actually come to America, and 77% would reside in California, and they were mostly working at the agricultural fields, uh, they will also work on the railroads, well, you even had some independent um independent entrepreneurs as well. 90% uh, of immigrants would also end up being men. Uh, there would be some uh, immigrant immigration restrictions that we'll talk about later on that would uh, lead into that being more of a factor. But in the beginning, most of the immigrants would be men because they would figure they would get some money uh, and be able to go back home and develop a, a better life in China after they were able to finish the work in America. That was the goal. Uh, eventually, things changed and also laws changed uh, to kind of keep uh, the keep the immigrant population mostly men uh, but this was not all easy for the Chinese immigrants of course uh, we're gonna get into that right now uh, now they faced a lot of violence uh, throughout their tenure in California at least in the beginning especially right around uh, the uh, the gold the gold, gold rush and also uh, during the railroad era as well but let's get right into it they were uh, victims of violent attacks also in mining uh, they had their mining areas stolen by white uh, by whites and uh, the 1852 foreigners foreign miners tax was passed by the California legislature and it was an attempt to target foreign miners and uh, basically those who had non-US citizenship and in this during this period of time the Chinese were denied that access to citizenship because uh, for whatever reason they were considered to be too exotic or too uh, they were basically considered to be inferior racism let's just be honest here uh, they were denied that citizenship so basically they were constantly the main group being targeted by uh, these taxes uh, the European uh, Europe European immigrants would usually uh, make will maintain their citizenship relatively easy they could they could get uh, citizenship relatively easy so again they would not have to necessarily bear the forefront of those of those uh, taxes and again it's easy to kind of blend in 
with the populace. You can't, I mean, I could see that it would be hard for the for a Chinese man to really be considered a U.S. citizen. He's always going to be looked at as a perpetual foreigner because he looks so much different. So he was at, like I said, the Chinese were at the brunt of this, this new foreign miners tax. Matter of fact, this was the main source of income for that tax was the Chinese population because, again, they could not receive citizenship. Uh, they were being taxed three months, uh, three dollars a month on an income of just six dollars a month. So again, unfair, unfair tax rates, um, basically unfair, just collection of, of, of tax as well. Uh, fake tax collectors, fake or real tax collectors would extort and or shoot or stab uh, some immigrants who were unable or refused to pay. Chinese mar uh, miners would also have their property stolen and be kicked off mining fields and were forced to find other employment. And this law will remain in effect until 1870. That, uh, for, and I thought that, um, when I read the article, when I read uh, the information pertaining to the fake tax collectors, the first thing that came to my mind was when I talked about uh, a story. Uh, I had it on, on my channel here about a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was about a group of white of white men uh, in, the, in uh, I think, it's New Mexico, and they were pretending to be Border Patrol agents, and they were going out and apprehending uh, Latino immigrants. So you kind of see the same, you know, basis of this. You have fake tax collectors collecting on a foreign miners tax against Chinese immigrants. And they're using violence, they're using force, just like your boys did in New Mexico when they decided to pretend to be Border Patrol agents. So again, history is repeating itself. Again, guys, History is repeating itself. Back in the 1850s and the 1860s during the gold rush, you would have fake tax collectors going around and harassing and extorting Chinese immigrants because they were subject to a foreign miners tax. Now, in the 21st century, you have Latino immigrants being detained at the border by fake border patrol agents. Think about it, y'all. This has not changed. Maybe he's even gotten worse since it's the modern era and you have a president now who allows that type of behavior or he encourages that type of behavior. I want you guys to think about that right now. I'm going to take a quick break and when I come back, we'll be getting more into the railroad era, we'll be getting more into the Chinese treatment during that era. And uh, basically, we're going to be going, like I said, some more California history. We'll also be going through the Chinese Exclusion Acts as well. And we'll be briefly touching up on Angel Island. And then to, uh, also today, uh, I want to wrap everything up with some uh, with something you might not know about at all. There was a black town in California too, right around the 1900s. So we wanted, uh, wanted to finish everything up on that. But for right now, I need you guys to think about it. Uh, think about what has changed in terms of immigration policies. What hasn't changed? And think about some of the groups that receive some of the most hostility towards their immigration status. And why is that the case? All right, y'all, I'm gonna take a quick break. And when I come back, like I said, we'll be getting to uh, some more, we're breaking down more of this railroad area in California. So I'll be right back, y'all. Alright y'all, I am back. Uh, like I said, I'm gonna get gonna get more into this railroad era and uh, just what it meant for Chinese immigrants and 
uh, basically as big as, as big impact on the state, of course. Now, the railroad companies uh, would not provide any type of housing at all for Chinese laborers, and that would keep their labor costs down for them about a third. Of course, white workers got all that, and they got better paid too. The Chinese will be regularly relegated uh, to more of the manual and at times more dangerous tasks. On the, on the Central Pacific Railroad track, uh, the, the majority of the track was made by these Chinese, uh, these Chinese laborers. Now, the workers from China were paid significantly less, of course, the strikes would often occur. And uh, every now and again, they'd have their varying degrees of success. But for the most part, their, low, their wages were kept the lowest. And they were usually given the most dangerous jobs out there. Uh, the track itself would end up going through rivers and canyons, which need bridges. And the two mountain ranges they would go through would be the Sierra Nevada and also the Rocky Mountains, which required tunnels. Now, all this put the put the Chinese workers at the risk of death and also extreme bodily injury uh, due to explosions, also extreme temperatures, uh, extreme weather conditions, extreme heat, cold, even avalanches in those cold months as well. And with all that, again, like I said, no housing, no type of, uh, well, low, the lowest pay, and eventually what would happen is you would have these groups uh you would have these groups uh such as uh what was it uh it was a group it was a political group uh, known as the working man's party and established by dennis kearney an irish immigrant nonetheless and you would have these groups that would pop up and they would protest the central pacific railroad because they would hire so many chinese workers now, mind you, the Chinese workers were taking the low, lowest wages. That's why they were getting hired. This would also lead to many violent attacks carried out by these groups against the Chinese immigrants as well. So not only did they have to, they have to go through the most dangerous conditions, the most demeaning of all the jobs, you also have these groups up against your back mad at you because, well, guess what? You just happen to be making your money. Now, what type of stuff is that? That's crazy. Let's break down some more. Let's break down some more uh, facts here. Eleven thousand Chinese were hired for uh, for the task of building the uh, Central Pacific Railroad, and whites and European labor never reached above ten percent of the total workforce, but were paid some substantially better. Chinese labor was also used for the Southern Pacific Railroad and the Northwestern Pacific Railroad on the north coast of California. After the railroad era, the Chinese would eventually relocate and find new jobs in manufacturing, farming, and other ways. And many would become successful because, again, they weren't really welcome into the workforce. Now, you think that with all the help that they, you know, they, they provided, they basically connected the country. Blacks helped create the country off their backs, off their labor. The Chinese helped connect the country through their labor. You think that would put them in some type of respectable manner or some type of great place in this country? No. Anti-Chinese movements and exclusion acts during the 1870s as well uh, in California as well as the nation uh, were basically, I would say, spurned or uh, they were, we say, exacerbated by uh, economic downturns all throughout the country. And whenever there's an economic downturn, whenever the things don't go right, instead of getting mad at the, the powers that be who control everything and everybody, 
people get mad at each other. People use racism. People get, you know, use sexism and, and they start just like we are now. Racism, sexism, sexual identity. We get mad at each other for these stupid things. But apparently we're all getting screwed over by the powers that be. But even just like in, you know, just like today in the 1870s, when the economy started to turn down in America, instead of being mad at the corporations or being mad at whatever companies that were controlling or, you know, even the powers, again, presidents, senators, whatever, they got mad at the Chinese immigrants. Like I said, this would lead to the development of the Working Man's Party and other groups that would be anti-Chinese. Um, and not only did they start off as violent groups towards Chinese, these would also get political support as well. And this would lead into the Chinese Exclusion Acts. Now, signed on May the 5th, 1882, by then-President Chester A. Arthur, a Republican. The law was also drafted by a Republican as well. So for those of you who want to just keep making this a Democrat-Republican thing, okay, well... They're both kind of shady. That's just me. Uh, the law banned all Chinese labor immigration uh, in the 1870s. Now, you could come there if you were a student, a teacher, a clergy member, or uh, a member, like a, a foreign diplomat. But if you were a laborer, because you uh, apparently were taking the lowest wages, just like the, like the Latino labor is frowned upon now, because you're going to take the, the, the lowest paying jobs, of course. They don't like that. So all laborers were kept out of America, uh, of the nation. Uh, now, in 1875, the Page Act banned all Chinese women from immigrating to the country as well. Again, this was a law passed by another Republican, Horace F. Page, a, re a representative from California. There you go. This would be repealed in 1946 with the Magnuson Act. But, um, but I mean, come on. 1875, 18, from 1882 to 1946. Come on now. Come on now. The reduced number of Chinese immigrants brought in more Japanese, Filipino, and Mexican immigrants, which we'll be getting into um, in subsequent episodes, <clears throat> particularly the Mexican immigrants as well, because they have a very, um, all these groups actually have a, a, a kind of a, a, a distinct history for themselves and how they were treated in this country, believe it or not. Believe it or not. Um, also, uh, after the Chinese Exclusion Acts were up until we're right up on the crust of the the crust of the uh, the new century, the 20th century, uh, Angel Island would finally be open, well, actually made functional as a immigrant detention center in 1910. It was first opened in 1905 as a military base, actually, actually a naval base, uh, but it began housing immigrants in 1910. And this is, uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, Angel Island is a place called Tiburon, California, which is about good maybe 20, 30 minutes from where I live, north or whatever. Uh, it's one of those coastal towns. Now, the Chinese Exclusion Acts had already restricted immigration to, like I said, merchants, clergy, so on and so forth. Uh, and basically, uh, they were Chinese immigrants were mo mostly fo forced to go to this island, uh, and a lot of immigrants in from Asia, because that's where a lot of the uh, immigrants that came from Asia usually ended up coming, uh, going to. They usually end up going to the West Coast. That was a difference. That was a difference between Ellis Island and Angel Island. Uh, and Ellis Island in New York, you had a lot of Europeans coming in. You had Germans, Jews, Italians, more notably Irishmen, so on and so forth. Irish people, Irishmen and women, of course. Uh, on the West Coast with Angel Island, again, you had a lot more Asians coming coming to this area. You had the Chinese, Japanese, 
Uh, you also had Filipinos as well. So there was a differences there. Uh, basically, they were being they basically uh, just like what they're doing now with the detention centers they have now. Basically, Chinese immigrants were just held there for months on end, uh, and they were, of course, uh, drilled and interrogated on why they were coming to America. Because again, laborers, just regular workers, were not allowed to come. So they would spend time on this island, be interrogated, pass, fail. Uh, and if they failed, of course, they could appeal, but they'll be stuck on that island. Uh, they would eventually be sent back home. Uh, and of course, they were able to pass. You know, they would be able to stay in this country. But again, this they were they were uh, keen on uh, the U.S. government was keen on dr drastically, um, drastically controlling and also bringing down the Chinese population, at least, you know, uh, uh, the, controlling the intake. Uh, now, the Chinese will still remain the most, the largest group in the SF Bay Area up until 1950, 1915, and uh, that's when the Japanese finally uh, replaced them. Uh, immigrants, like I said, will be detained on the island and basically be in, uh, be interrogated for months on end, and uh, then they will be granted citizenship if the U.S. the U.S. government decided to do that. So that's pretty much what uh, everybody had to endure, at least the international immigrants had to endure. Uh, I'm going to take another quick break and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some black immigrants, not with an I, but with an E. Uh, we're talking about Alan Allensworth and a group of uh, black men, former soldiers who decided to found their own town of California. And we'll be talking about that in just a minute. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. All right, y'all. So for better or worse, California has always been a place for many different people, uh, many different people from racial backgrounds, all different type of backgrounds to seek, uh, seek, seek refuge and to seek a place to live and to seek a better opportunity. And nowhere is that different uh, than the story of the town of Allensworth. Now, Allensworth was founded in 1908 by former Lieutenant Colonel Alan Allensworth, who served in the all-black 24th, uh, 24th Infantry of the U.S. Army. It was also founded by William Alexander Payne. William, William Alexander Payne. And uh, the town still exists today. Uh, it was founded in uh, what is now called Tulare County, I will say in Central California, uh, near Fresno, outside of the Fresno area. I know, i say around Fresno, a good two or three hour drive from the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, maybe about the same from LA as well, but it's definitely a place you can reach. It still exists to this day. It still stands with a population of about 471 people. And no, unfortunately, the population is not a majority black now, but uh, at one time it was, it was, and it was a very uh, significant uh, place in the, at least in the central valley of California. And it was able to grow significantly. It was able to grow to the point was it was, it was able to grow to the point well it was a, when it was able to establish the first black school district in 1910. They still have a school uh, that serves the area today that serves K through eight. Um, but again, this was the first black school district. This was one of the first black towns uh, that was ever established. 
and they uh, they survived here. They strived here in California. Now everything took a, a somewhat of a downturn when on September 14, 1914, Allen was struck and killed by a motorcycle, and he died at the age of 72. A lot of people left after the World War One, and uh, some of the economic opportunities left. And I think that's uh, is really a factor of that town and not really becoming incorporated. When you become incorporated, you become, you know, part of the, uh, I guess, part of this, quote unquote, the system uh, that, you know, that makes you eligible for government assistance, I would say state assistance. And since it never, I don't think it was ever incorporated, it was its own kind of its own area and left uh, its own devices. And that's kind of how uh, the U.S. government kind of did us. Uh, if we were given some type of uh, incentive or some given some type of uh, jurisdiction to govern ourselves, it was we were just kind of on our own. Uh, you saw that example. Uh, they did the same thing to the Native Americans as well with the reservations. But if you want more of an example of how they did that to African Americans, um, look at the projects. Um, look at the housing projects, uh, whether it be any big major city, uh, it be. Uh, California, uh, yeah, it could be in California, a housing project in California, Chicago, more notably, and even New York. Uh, what they would do is they would create these housing uh, projects. Uh, they, well, first and foremost, they were not created for the blacks, to, uh, for black people to begin with. They were created for working class whites. Uh, but what happened uh, is the blacks moved in and they left. What happened was when it became a majority black, uh, they left it to its own devices. Uh, they stopped. Uh, they stopped improving the conditions there, and they lit it. Uh, they lit those improvements and those um, and those all, all those type of improvements and the main maintenance and all that. They left that on the black residents. Same thing here. Uh, nothing different here with Allensworth. The U.S. government kind of said, "Hey, uh, we're giving you guys a chance to just kind of do your own thing. Go ahead. We're not going to really involve ourselves uh, with that." And I think that you know, made it made it. Uh, a little bit difficult to keep the town afloat and uh, when uh, there was an arsenic outbreak in the water supply in 1966 that pretty much wrapped everything up in terms of people wanting to really uh, well a lot of a, a good proportion of people left at that point as well too but I think if the, the the land itself was better maintained you had some type of city you know contracts or government funding or something like that uh that normal towns and normal counties and all that all the all, all the stuff that those regular towns give i think you see a different situation uh, again uh you have a situation where you have a, a, a former lieutenant in the uh, in the u.s army he's making an attempt to establish something for his own people and again the u.s government kind of said okay well we'll give you that we'll allow you to live in, in that land and of course they had to deal with you know, racism as well. They'd have white towns and all that in the vicinity, uh, giving them a hard time. This is not, uh, that's part of the history too. Uh, but again, the fact that they lacked incorporation, the fact that they weren't, uh, necessarily given those government, uh, you know, benefits or those, those, uh, business opportunities, cause no businesses really, uh, came out. And, and it's not a slight on that city per se, because again, um, that area, California, it was very hard terrain. Uh, we're right outside of Fresno, so it wasn't like it was a farming area as well, like it would be in the San San Joaquin Valley. So we're talking about, uh, you know, a grassland type desert area. But again, uh, it, it lacked 
the incorporation and lack the government assistance uh, lacked the business development that a lot of these areas were able to get and therefore it was it was hard to keep that town afloat especially when you have the leader uh, Alan Allensworth passing away like that uh, and, and there was some um, discrep discrepancy to how that uh, to his death as well some people say he was murdered some people say it was an accident uh, again it, you know it it's it's one of those things where you know you don't know officially you weren't there to see it uh but the town like i said the town of allensworth actually exists it is a historical uh, site um not not the of course there's an actual town uh that people do live in uh but the uh with the actual uh the actual town that was developed and was actually uh lived in by the the original inhabitants that's still there that is now an historical area you can go there to this day you can visit it i've been there uh, i've been there once and i'm telling you it's a very amazing experience for me because i did not know well let's just be honest with you. i'm just gonna be honest i did not know at that time and i went there in about fifth or fourth grade i didn't know that we were capable of doing something like that uh, post-slavery we created our own town had our own mayor had our own city government had our own school and it was something very good to learn for me um, again it was something that I had no idea that we were capable of doing at that time I you know I almost thought everything was impossible because of racism because of uh, re reconstruction and then you know being a dominant fixture just in in the white society being so dominant uh, at that period of time, but it was very inspiring to see. Uh, if you ever go there, I would I would definitely uh, suggest that anybody of color or anybody in general who wants to know about the history of of uh, of this state and want to know something different of the black experience, I would go there. Um, definitely, it's the people there are very knowledgeable. Uh, I had very uh, very uh, very uh, poignant. Uh, very informative conversations with the people there. I uh, also learned that I knew a lot about uh, black history as well, just being able to talk to those people and being able to, to, to share those ideas with the people there. Very, very important place uh, if you're looking to understand some, like I said, another aspect of black culture, because again, we're not told about situations like this. We're not always, we're not always uh, privy to the information of Black Wall Street. We're not always told about Allen's work. Uh, we're not always uh, told about some of our, um, our biggest um, entrepreneurs. Uh, we're not told always about Marcus Garvey. We're not always told about Madam CJ. We're, we're always bombarded with Michael Jordan rappers and uh, about people who uh, are paid by these people. We're not talking. We're not. We're not told about the the creators. We're told about the people who collect the paychecks and and are part of the basically the face of whatever companies. We're not talking. We're not talking about. And we're never. We're, they don't. They don't tell us about the Allensworths too much. Is what I'm saying. And like again. Um, just the history behind it. It was a brief history, but it's something that we all should know, especially since it's still standing to this day. I suggest you all find out about it and do some history, do some, do some dirt, do some digging. Because again, uh, we all, we've all found a way here for whatever, for whatever, for what it's worth. We're all here in California. We're all here in this country. We're all here in this world. Um, we're all different. That's the thing. We're all here and we're all different. So, so I think the biggest point now we find a way to work this out and be able to work together, even if we're different. 
Because that's not going to change. Us being different is not going to change. People are going to be born black. People are going to be born white. People are going to be born speaking Spanish. People are going to be born speaking French. People are going to be... People are going to be gay. People are going to be trans. That's just what we're going to have to deal with. This is this is this is okay. This is not the end of the world. This is this is the this is the life. This is what we've. Uh, this is the world that we're living in, and uh, we're we're together for a reason. Not to be hostile towards each other. Not to be not to be not to be friends. Not to push each other's ideologies against each other. No, we're trying to improve the situation for everybody. Remember that. Think about that when. Uh, when uh, your political party is 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 targeting a group of people, but everybody is living poor, everybody is not necessarily where they need to be financially. Think about that next time when your your political group pushes a law that you know is 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 stressing the use of words, but the cost of living in that city or that place is low, or it's. The housing quality or the availability to housing is poor. The availability to a high paying job or a decent paying job that will help you afford housing is low. There's bigger, there's bigger fish to fry. That's the point here today. All right, y'all, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it a quick break for today. I will be back. Actually, I will be coming back tonight. I want to give you guys a brief sports update. I know there's some stuff going on in the sports world. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to just drop, uh, drop you, uh, drop the, the part one, my part one of my college football preview. Uh, of course, college football is coming up within the next few weeks or so. We're going to get you, I'm going to get you guys privy to that. I'm going to get you guys knowing about who these teams are, who's hot, who's not, who I think is going to win the championship. So we'll talk about that tonight. I'll be my part one. And then uh, we'll have a, a brief MLB update as well just for the weekend to get you guys uh, going on that. Of course, I will be giving you guys an end of the week wrap up on Sunday night. Uh, but oh, and also, I'll be giving you guys that review, my 2002 Oakland Athletics review uh, t- uh, Sunday night as well. Uh, so I'm going to call it a wrap for today. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. This is your man, El Jamal, with another edition of my Golden State Issue. Uh, if, uh, if you're looking to get in touch with me, I am on Facebook at El Jamal Johnny. Instagram as well at Johnny. That is spelled E-L-J-A-M-A-H-A-D-J-A-N-I. Once again, that is Johnny. That is E-L-J-A-M-A-H-A-D-J-A-N-I. Once again, I am signing out. Peace out. One love. Y'all have a good one.